My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, this is Pastor Lane Jones from Caucus Baptist Church. Uh, glad to have you with us for another Beacon of Hope broadcast, and I pray God will bless you for listening. And uh, so we're going to be looking this morning at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 39. And what we're talking about for the last several weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' ministry. We're watching his life more what he does than what he says. And so we've called this series The Methods of Christ, trying to learn from Jesus' actions. And so that's what we're doing again today, trying to take these events in chronological order as best we can understand them. And so we're going to do that this morning. If you want to turn to your Bible, again, it'll be Mark chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 21 to 29. And um, so we're going to be looking at basically a day in Jesus' ministry. It starts morning of Saturday, Sabbath, for the Jewish people. It's their day of worship. And it'll end in the morning on Sunday, the next day. And so we're going to look at a day in Jesus' ministry as a way of learning some keys to investing your life for eternity. Before we get started, let's ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to do this. Thank you for those who will listen. We pray you'd bless them for it. pray that you'd open our eyes to understand what your word has to say, and our hearts to believe what your spirit will tell us, and may we follow through. May we act upon your word, we pray. We ask that you'll get all the glory, for you deserve all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you want your life to matter for eternity, or do you just want to see how much fun you can have before you die? You know, I think if we were honest, most of us are probably of two minds in that issue. When you stop and think about it, you want your life to make a difference, and um, especially if you are a person who fears God in any regard, you'd want it to matter for eternity when you stood before him, give an account of your life one day. And certainly when you come to know Christ personally, you realize that your life needs to affect others for good, not just in a temporary way, but for eternity. Yet despite what we imagine we want for the whole of our lives when we're living this day, Our comfort or enjoyment or ease often take the priority. And I would just put it this way, none of us plans to waste his or her life, but we can throw it away one day at a time. And so if you could pick one person in all of world history to help you understand what it means to have your life count for eternity and how to do it, who would you want to listen to on that subject? Well, for me, I have no doubt that I would be wanting to to watch Jesus Christ and listen to what he has to say. And um, actually, there are several texts in Scripture, which we'll not look at today, where he tells us things such as, you know, if you live your life for yourself, you're going to waste it. If you uh, give away your life for my sake, you're going to invest it. Things of that nature, principles that we can live by. But we're not going to look so much at those today as much as we're going to look at what he actually did. So our passage today takes us just through a day of Jesus' ministry when we can watch him live out uh, what it means to live a life that's going to impact people for eternity. And so the first thing I want you to notice as we come to our text, verse 21 and 22, is um, uh, that Jesus was actively involved in the public worship of God. It says in verse 21, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, first thing we notice here is he attended worship. And let's be honest, he's doing this with imperfect people. 
Now, if you th- if you think about it, what did Christ experience as, as the Son of God? He has always existed, uh, all the way back in eternity past. He's existed. He's eternal. So in in heaven, what's he experienced for all of eternity in the in the in the in the past? Well, sinless leadership. There's no uh, sinful people leading worship in heaven, and of course, sinless worshipers. Everything in heaven is perfect, and yet when you come into this synagogue. It's going to be far from that. Matter of fact, there's even a demon-possessed man that's in the synagogue that day that Jesus enters it. So if you think about it, if there was ever a person who had the right to say, organized religion is not worth my time, it would have been Jesus. Yet we see him walking into the synagogue. This is not a one-time event. This is what he was doing all over and all during his ministry. It's clear. We, we see actually references to his preaching ministry um, even in, in, in different places in Galilee in the same context, the idea that he's going into these synagogues and attending public worship with, with vastly imperfect people. We also see him teaching God's truth to imperfect people. That means not everybody is going to accept what he has to say. It's, it's obvious from looking at his life in ministry and we see him also worshiping faithfully with imperfect people. It's, it's not that he's walking away and saying, well, I'm done with these people. Uh, they're, they're so sinful, I'm, I'm not going to be around them anymore. As a matter of fact, that's who he came to save. Whether we call ourselves religious or whether we don't, he came to save sinners. And, and there's sinners inside the synagogue and there's sinners outside the synagogue. And that's why it's really inconsistent when we say, well, I'm not going to go to church. I'm against organized religion. Let me just say, you're, you're actually um, uh, contrary to how Jesus lived and what he taught um, and what the scriptures teach us to do. I think people re- forget the fact that church is not a wax museum. What do I mean by that? It's not a place where you come to see how everybody looks. You know, well, well that's a pretty good impression of, of Abraham Lincoln. And wow, that looks a lot like uh, uh, Bill Clinton. And, and we go to a wax museum and we look at the, really, we look at how these um, figures look compared to maybe our memories of them, or maybe somebody we didn't know, and we get a look at them. Church is not a place where we show off how we look. It's really a hospital. Um, a matter of fact, it can at times be a battlefield. And uh, some of you may have gotten burned at a church, maybe more than once. And so you got to the place where you decided, well, these people are so imperfect, and not just imperfect, they're, they're wicked, and I'm not going back. And you've basically tuned off any what you would call organized religion, and you're saying, I'm not going to have any part of it. It's all a big ripoff. And may I just tell you that certainly there are uh, examples of that. There's no doubt about that. And if you've been in a church that is clearly not following the scriptures and is in violation of God's word. Yes, absolutely. You need to find someplace else to worship. But if you think that gives you the excuse to drop out altogether, um, that's just not so. Let me take you to a passage that um, really speaks to this issue. It's in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to look at verses 24 and 25. And God's word says this. It says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now let's take a few minutes and just really examine what these two verses are saying. First of all, it's telling us that you go to church to help other people, not just to help yourself. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that one too. They, don't, they, they look at church, again, as a wax museum where everybody's just trying to show off, and the reality is that's not even why you should be there. You should be there 
not to show off how good you are or to proclaim um, and make yourself look good. You're there not merely to get a blessing yourself, although you ought to go with a heart. I want to worship the Lord. I want to uh, sing praises to his name. I want to uh, read the scripture and, and learn something that I can take home with me. I get all that. That's fine. But the reality is that's not it. That's not the total picture. Because the very first thing he said, verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up to love and good works. You have to think about other people around you. You say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, if I'm not there, I just I just will tell you that's just not so. We as Christians need each other. You say, well, I'm, I'm not very spiritual. I don't know very much. That's fine. I, I will tell you that, that I get a blessing out of uh, coming across people that are new in the faith or don't know that much about the scriptures. It's a, it's a blessing to me. It's a privilege to me. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why, because my mom was saved as, uh, I think she was 18, when she came to know Christ. She had really not gone to any kind of a Bible-preaching church for any length of time, and she knew very little about the Scripture. Matter of fact, when when she started having children, she got married about a year later. My dad uh, is going into the ministry, of all things, and so here my mom is thrown into being a pastor's wife, and she's literally like 20 years old. And a new believer herself. And, and when she realizes, hey, I need to teach these children that God has given me, and my husband as well, and, and uh, she, I need to teach them things from the Word of God, uh, she'd actually have to study the Scriptures herself that day to get us something that she could share with us at night. And, and she, would, she would do that repeatedly. She didn't know a whole lot. God blessed her in a great way. So we as Christians, we're not looking, we shouldn't be looking for people who are, um, again, everything all together. Instead, realize that you are a blessing to, to people around you just by being there and having a good attitude. You really can be. You say, well, boy, I, I'm discouraged. I uh, uh, Satan has really beaten me up. I've made a lot of bad choices. Well, okay, that's true for really the vast majority of us. Uh, but the reality is that that you come to church. One of the first the first thing he said: consider one another. Consider one another. Think about the other people that can be blessed just by you being there and being an encouragement. Now, how, how how do we consider them? What do we do for them? He says to stir up love and good works. How can I stir up love? Well, and and love for whom? I think the love is for God think the love is for your your fellow Christian brother. Your love is for the lost. There's, there's a need for love in all those areas. And we can stir up other people to love by uh, by reaching out, by, by just even saying something short and kind to them. Glad to see you today. How are you doing along that line? You don't have to have any great uh, sermon in your mind. But you have to be thinking about the fact that, hey, I'm not just here for myself. I'm here to encourage and help other people. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here to, to not only get a blessing myself, I'm here to be a blessing to other people. And I want to stir them up to love. He says also stir them up to good works. So you're sitting in church and you hear of a family that had a fire. Uh, we had that happen just a couple weeks ago in our church family. Well, you're motivated to do something. And so we put an offering plate in the back and and people gave very generously. They, why, they were glad to do it. Why? Because they were stirred up to good works. That's why, because they were there. They had an opportunity then to do something about it. Can you not also think of being sensitive to the Lord's gentle voice to encourage maybe a person that's lonely? Maybe no one's going up and talking to them. 
or might might just be discouraged. And, and I'm not saying you go up and ask them to spill their whole, whole life story to you because they may not be up for that. But but can you even just reach out and, and say something kind, something simple? You'd be surprised how that can make a difference in a person's life. What might result from you being a blessing to someone else when you go to church? That's one of the main reasons to go. Consider one another. So according to God's word, how do I encourage others to love God and others more and the lost more and to do good works? Well, you go to church. Well, why do you say that? Let's keep reading. It says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. So we see here a clear command. So going to church is not merely a matter of helping other people. It's a matter of obedience to God because he clearly says that you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together that you're supposed to come. And and notice he says, as the manner, as is the manner of some, which means that others were forsaking the house of God in the the, the first century church, and this happened every every century ever since. But that's no excuse for you. He said, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. And there are people, they get discouraged, they get their nose out of joint, they don't like something. And they walk away. And it is to their detriment. It's to the detriment of their families. It's to the detriment of the work of God. And so in obedience to God, you need to go. Now, let me uh, maybe stop for just a moment and, and mention the reality. There are some of you that you can't go. Uh, maybe it's a serious health issue, and honestly, you can't, you can't physically go. Certainly God understands that and uh, would not hold you to that commandment. Others of you, you may have a job where... Right now, um, you know, you're required to work on Sunday. And so I, I get that too, that you can be in a spot where you don't really have a choice. you got to feed your family. That's right now your job. I, I would encourage you to do this, though. Why not pray that God will either, either open up an opportunity for you to um, get different hours or that, that the Lord might give you even a, a different job where you can be in God's house. Again, I, I, I know that God answers prayers like that. It's kind of interesting. A number of years ago, there were a couple teenage girls. One was 14 and one was 16. And they came from a religious family, but they, a family that would, their church that they were attending was not preaching the gospel, clearly. And so they got to go to a Christian camp where they did hear about salvation and how to receive Christ. And both girls, the 14-year-old and the 16-year-old, came to know Christ as Savior. Well, they went back home, and they, uh, you know, they were excited about their faith, but it didn't really their their commitment to the Lord kind of faded. They didn't really have any way to get help. They didn't have a church family to be part of. And so uh, the next year they were allowed, again, by their parents to go back and to have some time to go to this camp again. And this time, although they'd already been saved, they didn't need to do that again, they, they, they knew that both of them had, had slipped in their dedication to the Lord. And so both of them got right with God, made some decisions on some things they needed to change. But when they got back home, the two girls' sisters got together and they said, you know, we drifted from the Lord last year. Why don't we pray and ask God to help us not to drift this year? What a great thing for these two girls to do. Now, they don't know much. They've gone to camp a couple years. They don't go to a church that preaches the word of God in any regard. So they they prayed and asked God to help them. Well, you know, and I can't tell you how long it was. I don't think it was very long after that. 
by coincidence, wouldn't you know it, there's a person in their community who attends a Bible-preaching church, a neighbor, who invited them. Now, they couldn't go on Sunday morning. They had to go to their church, their family church, on Sunday morning. But Sunday night and then on Wednesday night, there were services where the Word of God was preached and taught, and, and their parents allowed them to go to those. And those girls went on, and both of them served the Lord, um, got involved in the church, uh, helped with the cleaning of the church, helped in the youth group of the church, did different things. Um, one of them, the younger of the two, ends up being my wife. And I'm so glad that not only did God save my wife at age 14, but that at age 15, she says, you know what, I don't want to drift from the Lord. And what did God do to help her to really start taking some steps of growth? But he, he got her into a Bible-preaching church. And I'm so grateful for that. That's, that's really what God is saying here. He's saying, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Now they Again, they couldn't go on Sunday morning. They went when they could. They went Sunday night and Wednesday night. And, and then when they got old enough and they were able to make their own choices, then they went um, uh, even on Sunday morning. But they, they had a hunger for God's word and God honored their request. So you go to church to help other people. You also go to obey God. The third reason why you ought to be faithful in church is to encourage others in obedience to God. Because the next verse, uh, he's saying again, I'm in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. That's the idea of encouraging one another. So when we go to church... We ought to be encouraging other people. That we talked about that in verse 24 as well. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what's this when he says so much the more? There ought to be all the more faithful as you see the day approaching. What's the day? Well, the day he's talking about is the day of Jesus' return. And so what he's saying is, yeah, a lot of people in the first century, they're still doing it today, a lot of people... They forsake the assembly of themselves together. They get away from church. But he said, don't you do that. Don't you forsake it. And all the more you ought to be faithful as you think about the return of Christ. That's a great way to make sure you're ready to meet the Lord is by being faithful to the house of God, learning and growing, being a blessing to other people. That's really where so much ministry happens. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. So, the first thing we see our Lord doing is he's actively involved in the public worship of God on this day that we're looking at his life. The second thing he's doing is he's helping other people. And he's helping them in two different ways. He's helping them with physical needs, and he's helping them with spiritual needs. And that takes up quite a chunk of our passage. Um, I'm going to Now pick up at verse 23. You'll see the first person he helps. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. That means he had a demon. This is pretty serious, obviously. And he cried out saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. We'll stop there for just a second. And uh, notice that he's helping this guy with spiritual bondage. And did you notice where the demon-possessed guy was? He's in the synagogue. He's in the place of public worship. And so, again, those of you that say, well, I can't stand, uh, you know, organized religion. Well, here this this demon-possessed guy is right there in the organized religion. You think, well, maybe some of those leaders are in the same boat. Maybe they were. 
But isn't it interesting that here a demon-possessed man was in the synagogue where Jesus was that day, and Jesus enters in there. Let me give you a couple questions that uh, you need to think about. Why was the demon-possessed man there? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, maybe he was there to hinder Jesus. Maybe. Maybe God drew him there so he could get some help. We're really not sure. And by the way, if I'm one of the disciples, I don't know why he's there. If I'm a, the pastor of the church and a demon-possessed guy comes into our church, which I, as far as I know, have never seen, but if that happened, and, and who knows if it happened, um, it could be that the Lord is going to use him. It could be the devil brought him there. And, and you really don't know at this point. But isn't it interesting? He's in the synagogue. Well, let me ask you a second question. Because if you or I are sitting by this guy, or maybe we're a row or two away from him, boy, wouldn't you say, hey, why don't we get this guy out of here? Where are the ushers at? You know, this guy is acting weird, and uh, um, you'll see in just a moment, it gets pretty hairy, it's pretty scary what's going to happen. And so I can see being one of those people thinking, wow, I, I, I'd kind of like to see the ushers get this guy out of here. But let me ask you this question, where else would you want this guy to go? He's come where Jesus is at. Should not the wicked, the troubled, the confused be welcomed? To come for our, to our churches for help. And see, this is why you're foolish when you think organized religion is such a problem. Because you say, well, I ran into this person and they were, they were crooked. Or I ran into that person and they were um, hypocritical and I ran into that. Okay, okay. But it, it, are, we, are we not trying to reach these people? Are we not to try as much as we can to help that hypocrite? To help that... Now, again, we ought not to support them. We ought not to encourage them in their hypocrisy. Jesus absolutely does not do that. But where else would you have them go? You think a secular psychologist is going to help him? Well, we could drug him and maybe make him so he's in a stupor, but is that really going to help him? you got to admit, he's come to the right place. He's come where Jesus is at. And if Christ is truly in our places... Now, does Satan ever send people? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You'll find this throughout the Scripture. But our Lord is greater than he that is in the world. And God uses even our weakness and times of, of uh, where things are confusing and weird and, and failure. Um, he still uses it for his glory. And so here the demon-possessed guy is, and he's right there in the synagogue. He's in the place of public worship. Now, it's interesting also what he said. First thing he says is, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? So you'll notice a lot of people feel this way, by the way, about the true children of God. They, they, they say in their hearts, leave me alone. Could it be that God is using his children and Christ in his children to remind you of your sin? You think about this. This is what this guy is saying. What have we to do with you? I have nothing to do with you. You're the son of God. I'm a wicked man. I'm possessed by a demon. The demon is speaking. Well, I want nothing to do with you, Jesus. Maybe God's spirit in a believer irritates you. Maybe you got a brother-in-law or a sister or someone in your family, and they know the Lord, and it's obvious they do, and they're, they're not perfect, and you can find a bunch of fault with them. But the reality is, is they do know the Lord, and they are trying to serve the Lord. If you're honest, you know that. But they irritate you. Why? Well, often because they're exposing, without even trying to, your sin. This guy says, what have I to do with you? I don't want to be, I want to be around you. 
also, it seems to me that what's going on, he wants Jesus to leave him alone because it's reminding him of his just penalty that's going to be upon this demon. He says, he says, what have we to do with you, Jesus? Did you come to destroy us? A lot of people think that about God. Well, God, he's just waiting to just whack me at the end of my life. Well, I'm so thankful that if you're willing to repent, God wants to forgive. He does. I can tell you that. God is a merciful God. He would desire to forgive you, but you have to make some choices. This guy says, let us alone. He also says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, some people think that just acknowledging who Jesus is, that he has died on the cross in full payment for your sins and rose again from the dead three days later, that he's God's son come in the flesh, that just that knowledge is going to save you. So you're kind of trusting your soul to the fact that you know the right facts. But let me ask you this question. Is knowing the right facts enough to save you? Because let's be honest, this demon clearly understands Jesus' identity. He doesn't just believe Jesus is the Son of God. He knows it. You think the devil knows it's true that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of man, that he conquered death three days later? Absolutely he knows it's true. Then why isn't Satan saved? Well, because knowing Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, is different than bowing to him as your Savior and your God. Satan and other fallen angels know Jesus is God's Son, but they have chosen to remain in complete rebellion against him. So where are you at? Have you chosen to turn from your sin to the Lord, ask for his mercy, or have you maybe just mouthed that kind of idea but never really repented? Don't think that that's enough to save you. It's going to take genuine repentance. Now, it's also interesting what the demon does at this point. So he heard what he said, let us alone, and what do we have to do with you, and I know who you are. But it's also interesting that it says that when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Now, we're going to see why that happened. But the demon really seems to be trying to hurt this man. And may I say that when you're following your own way, and really following the Satan who's behind that selfish way, uh, he has nothing but evil for you. He may try to fool you by giving you something that you think is good, but it's poison for your soul. And boy, he often tempts us with with sexual desire, with with, um, uh, covetousness for uh, position or power or money. Uh, lots of things that Satan seems to want to trade for your soul. Don't take the deal. He's out to destroy you. So we see that the demon does here. Then we also see what Jesus uh, is doing. Um, and, and first of all, what he doesn't do. Well, Jesus says, be quiet and come out of him. I'm in verse 25. Be quiet and come out. What did the guy, what the guy was saying? He was saying, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet about that. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is not into prideful self-promotion. He's not, okay, demon, I'm going to hold you down, and you're going to confess that who I am, and you're going to tell all these people here who I am. It's nothing like that. B, um, have a red flag up in your mind and heart. If you find people that are about self-promotion, that's not a good thing. It's not. Jesus is our example. He is not into self-promotion. Uh, notice it says, verse 27, then they were all amazed when Jesus cast them out. So they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. 
and immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now again, people are talking about Jesus, but it's not that he's out there trying to uh, be uh, overly dramatic and cause this demon to you know, uh, have to say who he is. He's actually silencing him. Now, there's a similar incident. It doesn't happen the same day, but it's also found in this chapter. So I'm going to read it to you. It's, it just shows you Jesus' heart on this whole thing. He's not into self-promotion. It says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him. I'm in verse 40 now, the same chapter. Imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, which means he got choked up about this, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So Jesus miraculously uh, delivers this guy from leprosy. And what does he say? Don't go telling everybody about this. Don't even say anything to anybody. Verse 45, though, the guy didn't listen. However, he went out, began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. See, Jesus knew that if word got out of all the miracles that he was doing, which they did, um, and he wasn't, again, trying to promote himself, but people would come merely for that, that they would come, and they did, in mass, and that much of his teaching ministry would be overshadowed by all the people who wanted to be healed of some malady, whether it be a demonic type of thing or a physical ailment. And, you know, honestly, some of you know what I'm talking about when when, when I say that, you know, you can have uh, what we'd call mercy ministries where you're trying to help people. And whether it be with food or with uh, clothing, shelter, whatever it is, and Christians uh, of many different uh, stripes have over the centuries have tried to step in and try to be a blessing uh, to others in Jesus' name. And that's how we ought to do it. Not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Um, and there are people who will take the blessings and they will throw the um, the claims of the gospel away. And, and I will tell you that that is what Jesus did in his day. He helped people, many of whom would never put their faith in him, but he still helped them. And, and so following his example, we yes, we share eternal truths. We ought to do it. We ought to tell people why we're doing that. We're doing it because Christ uh, is the Savior and he's laid this on our hearts. But we also do it with an understanding that not every person is going to take the gift of salvation that is being offered, that many will take the help and we'll walk away, and, and that's okay, because we've done our job to help in Jesus' name. Now, he also, now, so he's helped a man spiritually in the synagogue of all places, a man with a demonic spirit. Now, this is the same day, because in verse 29 it says, Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, that Simon and Andrew, that's uh, uh, brothers Peter, we call them uh, more, more uh Famously, is Peter and his brother Andrew. So they enter their house. Says, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So we see Jesus delivering from physical affliction here, um, Peter's mother-in-law, 
And, and uh, Jesus and can and certainly often does deliver from physical problems, and Peter's mother-in-law is an example of this. But I think we also need to balance something here, and that is that Jesus doesn't always deliver and that all physical suffering is not bad. Now, if we look at it from the light of eternity, yes, the believer knows Christ as Savior is going to be delivered from all physical suffering um, in heaven one day. But does it always happen on earth? It does not. And I'll give you a couple thoughts on this, that the fact that physical suffering is not all bad. First of all, that God can use physical suffering to call people to repent. And I'll give you a couple examples of it um, from the scripture. And the first one is in Second Chronicles chapter 33. I'm going to look at verses 10 to 13. And there's a king by the name of Manasseh. Manasseh had a godly father. And yet Manasseh turned his back on, on what his dad believed in walking with the Lord and just went off into uh, some of the most wicked years that the, the nation of Judah um, ever experienced. He got into human sacrifice. He got into idolatry. He got into all kinds of sexual immorality. And so as a king, he was an absolute disaster. Now, listen to what happens to him. It says in verse, chapter 33, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. So God allows the nation of Judah to be conquered by the mighty Assyrians, and they cart the king, Manasseh, off into slavery. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers and prayed to him. And he, speaking of the Lord, he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God in his mercy, though Manasseh had caused his own problems by his own wicked and evil behavior, God forgave him when he humbled himself and he used affliction to call Manasseh to himself. So God can use physical suffering. Another example of this is in the very famous parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. And many of you would know the story how that there was a young fellow, there's two brothers, and the younger of the two, he wants his inheritance and he wants to live life uh, like he wants to live it. So he gets his dad to give him his inheritance and he goes off and he wastes it living um, an ungodly life. And so I pick up the story at verse 14. It says, when he had spent all, so he spent all of his inheritance now, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the, his fields to feed swine. Now, for a Jewish man, that was about as low as you could go. You're working in a foreign land for a, for a foreigner, for a Gentile, and, you're, and he sends you out to, to feed the pigs. So that's how bad he is. And it's even worse, because it says, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He would have liked to eat what the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. So now he's kind of abandoned, he's humiliated, he's he's, uh, in abject poverty. Verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. What's he doing? Affliction has woken him up. It's, it's, it's awakened him to the reality that, you know what? 
living for myself is a mess and I need to get out of it. Think of a guy that used to live in the in the um, Moscow area and basically smoked his health away. Um, he got into smoking and just uh, really ruined his lungs, got lung cancer. And you could look at it and say, you know what, you're getting what you deserve. You've, you've done it to yourself. And that's true. But the reality is how good God is. The Lord used that man's suffering, and it was great. He, he is, oh, his lungs would burn, and he just, oh, he was, he was suffering a lot physically. But God used that suffering to wake him up to the reality that he wasn't ready to stand before the Lord, and he was born again before he died. And I'm so thankful he was. God can use affliction. He really can. And he can use it to call people to repent. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. But you know, God can also use physical suffering to bless the godly people. You know, two of the greatest saints of the scripture are Job in the Old Testament and the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, Job suffers greatly. He suffers bereavement. He suffers great physical uh, uh, loss of health with tremendous boils all over his body. He suffers the loss of, of property and of money and of reputation. He suffers all of that. And the reality is he was the most godly man on the face of the earth at that time in his day. It's not. You can't assume that God is always allowing physical suffering because somebody's done something wrong. It's just, it's, just, it's just not biblical. And the reality is God would bless Job in a greater way as a result of it. Well, we find in the New Testament, the, the Apostle Paul, who loved the Lord thoroughly, would give his life for the Lord and, and, and died a martyr's death. And he talks about physical suffering that God allowed in his life. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh, which means a physical affliction, was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. It's, it's, what he seems to be saying is that God has allowed Satan to give me physical suffering, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Now, this is the problem with the faith healers when they say, well, if you have enough faith, you know, you should be healed from whatever affliction you've got. Well, explain to me this situation with the Apostle Paul. Because clearly, the Apostle Paul, who loves God, who's giving his life to the Lord, is begging God on three different occasions, Lord, would you take this physical affliction from me? And what does the Lord say? And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. He's saying, Paul, I'm not taking it from you. You're actually more useful with your physical affliction. Now, Paul didn't see that. He's asking on three different occasions, Lord, I think I'd be a better servant if you take this away. God's saying, no, you wouldn't. No, in your weakness, you'll actually be more used of me. So God can use physical suffering to bless godly people. Um, I, I, there's a, a, a man that I knew and allied. He's uh, gone to heaven now. Um, and his body was racked with, and I don't remember exactly the disease that he had, but um, just completely uh, confined to a bed. And I do not know all that God did with his life. I really don't. The Lord will reveal that in eternity. But I can tell you this, that so much of his time uh, was spent not in just watching entertainment. I, I'm sure he did that some, and that's that's uh, understandable. But he, he spent a lot of time studying the Scripture and trying to learn and grow in his faith in the Lord. And I will, 
I'm confident that it's not that God uh, didn't care about his prayers. I'm sure he must have asked God many times over that he would heal him of that affliction. And it's not that um, I don't think that uh, my dear brother uh, in Christ, Glenn, was uh, in some ways didn't have enough faith. I really don't think that was it at all. It was God's plan. God was going to glorify his name through that man. I'll tell you this. He was a challenge to me. I'd go in to see him and note how he's um, studying the scriptures and he'd be asking me questions about what he's looking at. And by the way, he couldn't even type. He would have to use a, uh, 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 like a, a little wand in his teeth. And then they also, uh, of course, if we were developing by then the technology where you could speak to the computer and make it um, go to places that you wanted it to. And uh, those handicap um, uh, things that they've done to enable people in, like in his type of situation to be able to use a computer, Glenn would use it. And he would use it uh, to try to learn and grow in his faith in the Lord. Not all physical suffering is bad. And that's why when we pray, we do have to pray for God's will. But in this case, the Lord determines he's going to heal some people, and he did. And and also, Jesus then would be involved in, in healing both, in healing both physical and spiritual needs. And this is what the Lord really is about. We find this in verse um, 32 to 34 of Mark 1. It says, At the evening, when the sun had set, they brought him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. So let's remember, let's put this in context. He's been in the synagogue in the morning. He healed a demon-possessed man there. He's come back. They're probably going to have a meal, which they did have, at Peter and Andrew's house. And he's delivered Peter's mother-in-law from a physical affliction. Now, in the evening, everybody's showing up at his door from the town with all kinds of sick people, people with great spiritual needs, demon-possessed people. And Jesus, according to Luke chapter 4, and verse 40, heals every one of these people. So it says, and so the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So again, he's not allowing uh, this public praise of himself from these demons. He's, nope, he's not into, uh, into this uh, self-promotion. Uh, uh, he's really not. So now we see Jesus here again, involved in meeting the needs of people on this one day that we're looking at. Now, there's something else that happens, and we have to go now early the next morning. So we started probably mid-morning for the Sabbath uh, service, and then we got to Peter's mother-in-law's healing, and then all these people healed at night. It's been a long day on Saturday for Christ. He's been working a lot of hours, preaching, healing, doing a lot of things. Now, the next day, verse 35, at evening when the sun had set, I'm sorry, I skipped out of verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So here Jesus is, and what we're learning from his example is not only is he making time for public worship and making that a priority, we saw that the morning the day before, we not only saw him ministering to people physically and spiritually, now we see him taking time to worship God, making time to worship God in private. And I want you to think of the inconvenience of this. He just spent a busy day preaching God's word, serving people, and now he's up early the next day to make sure he had time with God the Father. Take time to pray, to praise the Lord, to be in fellowship with the Father. And think of how purposeful he had to be about this. The, this next day, which is now Sunday, which is the beginning of the work week for the Jewish um, um, system, and Jesus is a Jewish man. Christianity has not uh, come into place yet. So Monday is the first day of the week. 
as far as uh, uh, excuse me, Sunday is the first day of the week for him. So Christ is going to have a busy day ahead of him. So he gets out early before the sun even comes up. He says a great while before day to take time to be with the Lord. It's it's an inconvenient thing. It's a very purposeful thing. To, this private worship and think of the fellowship with God. He's all by himself. He's not going to have a lot of time for that in the next day, in all probability. So he's making sure he has time to be with with the Lord first thing in the morning before anybody else can come around. And then what we also see as we wrap up this one day in the life of Christ is him choosing God's will over personal benefit. This is probably, um, uh, uh, again, early morning still. His son's come up now. It says in verse 36, And Simon, that's Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. So they get up, uh, you know, they probably slept in, and I, I get it. They've been, they've had a long day with Christ. They've been with him. And so they probably slept in pretty well, and, and they look up, and, and uh, where's Jesus? Well, no one knows. And so it says they, they searched for him, verse 36. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. So what are they saying? Jesus, you're really popular. And I could be just where Peter's at. I, Lord, this is great. You're the Messiah. Uh, people are starting to see that. Uh, you're very popular right now. Um, and Luke tells us in his account of the same incident, in chapter 4 and verse 42 of his book, that the people of that area asked Jesus to stay with them. They were just, Lord, please stay here among us. And it would, I think would have been easier for Christ to do that very thing, to stay where he's popular. But Jesus won't do that. Verse 38, it says, But he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogue. See, again, it's not just one day of worship, you know, every once in a while. He's going there throughout the synagogues in Galilee. He's going to public worship, what people many times call organized religion. Jesus is all about it. He's there in the synagogues, very imperfect places. He goes, he's preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So what do we see? We see Jesus choosing God's will over personal benefit. It's not that he could not have been very popular where he was and settled down where, you know, maybe you could, again, humanly speaking, obviously our Lord wouldn't do it, but yo, maybe I could have a family and a house. And he's moving forward to do what God called him to do. And that is to take the good news of God's uh, coming kingdom elsewhere. So what do we conclude from watching Jesus on this day? Well, first of all, is if you're a Christian, you should want to live a life that counts for eternity. And if you want to do that, you need to follow Jesus' example. And I'll give you just uh, uh, some major things we looked at. Public worship. And I would just tell you, by the authority of God's word, attend and then get involved. Uh, and, and if you are in a spot where you can't attend right now, you're not allowed to, well, then pray about it and ask God, hey, Lord, Lord, I, I would love to be able to get back to church. And some of you, again, your health may be such where you'll never be able to get out to church again, but you can still pray. You can pray for those who need to go. You can pray for those who are there on a Sunday morning. Uh, I, I've told before about a famous evangelist who was having a tremendous ministry in London, England, and he really felt somebody must be seriously praying because it's just such a, a uh, outpouring of the Lord's work in London. 
His name was D.L. Moody. And so Moody began to look, inquire around who might be praying about this. And where he eventually was led was a couple invalid women. They could not get out of the church themselves, but they were burdened for their country. And they knew of, of, of the American evangelist, D.L. Moody, and they felt like he could have an impact upon their, their country and, and their, their city of London. And so they, they begged God to send him, and he did. And Moody really gave credit to that uh, very fruitful ministry to some ladies who could not themselves attend. If you're still alive and you've still got your faculties among you, be thankful, Christian, and keep praying. Uh, but if you have the ability to attend public worship, then attend. And if you're in a spot where you could go, but you don't have transportation, or you could go, but you, your job situation is con- conflicting, ask God to change those circumstances and to give you a chance to get involved. And then Jesus is also an example, not only in public worship, but in helping others, helping them physically, as well as helping them spiritually. And we see that in this account. We also see him involved in private worship, when no one else is around, talking to God, making that a huge priority. And then also just in how he will live for the priority of God's will over his own personal comfort or desires, as it would be easy for him to settle down where everybody at this point loves him, and yet he says, nope, I've got to go on. I've got to go on. I've got to preach elsewhere. That's God's will for me. And by the way, it's not God's will for everybody to do this kind of a ministry, but it was in Christ's case, and he's going to follow that. And so he did. Now, let me also say, if you're a person in need, you say, well, I, I'm, the, I'm the person that really, I have the need. I, uh, maybe there's tremendous spiritual needs in my life, or, or maybe I've, I, I know what you mean about affliction. I, I'm suffering greatly, and I think some of it is my own cause. Well, let me just say to you that God does care. And he moves other people who will listen to him to care as well. And maybe you've already seen that. Maybe you've seen someone that has taken an interest in you. And, and when I, I'm not talking about so much a, like a, a, a relationship, a love relationship, but I'm talking about a person who just really for may, maybe no motive that you can pin down, they, but they just care about your situation. They've been reaching out to you. They've been praying for you. Well, did that happen by accident? Or did you think maybe, just maybe, God's moving in that person's heart? Because that's how God feels about your situation. God does care. If you're a person you need to remember, God cares that he moves other of his obedient people to care and that he can help you. He really can. And ask him. Turn to the Lord in, in repentance and faith and ask him to help you. And if you're in a situation like my friend Glenn, who you're trying to live for the Lord, but you're just under affliction, keep in mind God's e- eternal purposes. We can't see him any more than the Apostle Paul could see a good reason why God would allow him to have his thorn in the flesh. But you know what? He can use it for his eternal glory because when we're weak, he's strong. Now, so if you want to make your life count for God, first of all, you've got to commit it to the Lord. You've got to surrender it. Uh, that would involve salvation. And as a Christian, really uh, turning your life over to the Lord and saying, Lord, whatever you want to do with me, do it. Like those two teenage girls did, one of whom was my wife. You must also allow God to lead you. I can almost guarantee you that he's going to lead you in many ways that you would neither choose nor anticipate. But if you'll leave your life in the Lord's hands and let him control you, he'll work it out so your life has eternal meaning and great impact. And you never can tell what God uses um, to have your life make an eternal impact. You know, a number of years ago, there was a, a guy in our area and his wife was dying. 
And so somehow I got um, wind of it. Somebody in our church knew the couple. And so they asked me if I was willing to go talk to them. And I was certainly glad to do that. It's a privilege when people let you do that. So I, I came in and I wanted to know um, when I was talking to this lady who's uh, just a short time from eternity if she knew Christ as Savior. And she said she did. And so I prayed, shared some scripture, and tried to be a blessing in any way I could to the family. Well, uh, she did pass away. Our church people uh, tried to help her in in, um, in, in many different ways um, while she was still alive. And after she passed away, the, again, the, her husband is a man who's in affliction. He's lost his mate. And I remember going to see him and uh, trying to be an encouragement and, and knowing that he'd be lonely. Um, I invited him to go with me to some um, some special services. They were going to be at my dad's church. My dad was still pastoring in the Moscow area at that time. And so I took him down there, and, and as far as I was concerned, uh, the man seemed to give testimony of knowing Christ as Savior, and, but he just thoroughly enjoyed the speaker, enjoyed doing this. Of course, it got him out of the house, too, in his affliction. And so um, he came with me all that week to my dad's church, and uh, we had quite a good time of, uh, of talking and etc. But, you know, he didn't stop there. The same speaker was in another church out in Waymart, actually, and um, he went when I wasn't going. He, he kept going following the speaker. And one night, gave his heart to Christ. Uh, his name was Al. And, you know, as a result of Al's conversion, uh, he was instrumental in the salvation of his nephew, uh, Joe. And Joe's salvation was instrumental in the salvation of another guy named John, who eventually becomes a preacher. Uh, John's salvation was instrumental. He actually helped lead another guy by the name of Rodney, whose testimony we've had on the on this uh, broadcast in weeks past, who's now a faithful deacon in our church. Uh, Joe has also been actively involved. It's just amazing what God can do with a simple witness. I didn't even lead Al to Christ. I just tried to be a help as God let, and the Lord reached out, saved that guy, and began a chain of events. And let me tell you, that's how God can make your life count for something. You just be faithful to seek him, to search for God. What do you want me to do today? Be a blessing in his name to other people, physically and spiritually, and you'll be surprised what God can do for eternity. Do you want to live your life chasing the next thrill or seeking God to use you for his eternal purposes? I pray that you will follow Jesus' example and live a truly meaningful life. If you would like some extra spiritual help like counseling prayer or some help with questions from the Bible, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Maybe while you are listening, someone came to your mind who could profit from this message. You can send your friend a link to this podcast at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.